Well, good morning, everyone. I want to uh, begin this morning by trying to create a picture of what I think is happening in the uh, church in Crete. And so, in order for this to work, I'm going to have to have your full cooperation. Because if you don't, I'm going to fall flat on my face on this deal, all right? So, you'll know how this is going to work as we go on. But at any given point, I'm going to ask you to help me, and there's something I need you to do, so pay attention. Uh, here's what we're going to do first. Matt, would you please uh, take this and just do what you do with a maraca, all right? Make noise. All right, so Matt represents empty chatter. No offense, Matt. <laughs> And you can imagine on any given Sunday, if that was going on while I was trying to preach, this would not go well. Because you're going to be paying more attention to what Matt's doing than anything I have to say. Is this getting annoying for anyone yet? Yes. So that's why Paul says to Titus, tell them to be quiet. Matt, would you please stop? All right, Carrie. See, just because you tell one to stop doesn't mean that's the end of it. There will always be empty chatter in the church. And you don't deal with the problems in the church by going to them one by one and telling them to stop because that's like the whack-a-mole game, right? As soon as one stops, the other one starts. So here's how you overcome the empty chatter in the church, and this is where I need everybody to get involved. So if you would, please stand up, greet one another, have a meaningful conversation, not your inside voice, your outside voice, but please talk to one another now. Okay, you can have a seat. All right, we're good. We're good. <laughs> okay. No, you need to stop. <laughs> when we stop worrying about the maraca and start speaking the truth in love, it drowns out the sound of the distractions in the church. Healthy relationships overwhelm divisive distractions in the church. Listen to what I just said. Healthy relationships overwhelm divisive distractions in the church. I believe that is exactly what Paul is trying to get Titus to understand. If you remember, he begins by establishing elder governance as priority number one. And then he speaks to the confusion being created by, by those who live inconsistent lifestyles, professing one thing and then living out something different. But then he turns his attention to the rest of the church and he speaks to them collectively as the answer to the distractions going on. Every single member of the Christian household. He's promoting the fact that healthy relationships 
within the body of Christ is the most critical element for dealing with distractions within the body. More important, listen to me, more important than anything I say to you on a Sunday morning is what you say to one another all throughout the week. Before we look at this passage together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the clarity with which you speak through your word. I thank you for the value that you give to every single member of the body of Christ. And as significant as Paul and Titus and people like them, as significant as they were in Scripture, you were very clear that the most important voice being spoken is the voice of your spirit through the hearts of your people as they love one another. So, Father, as we enter into your word this morning, would you use that voice to speak into our life in a way that changes how we relate to each other? I pray that you help us grow in our appreciation for the relationships that we have with one another and how critical they are to drowning out the distractions of divisiveness that will always be present and allow us to focus on the proclamation of the good news that we've been called to serve. May we be your people. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So turn to Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writing says, but as for you, Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. So Paul has kind of spoken to different groups and now he points specifically to Titus and he says, but for as for you, Titus, instead of trying to fix all the problems, instead of trying to whack a mole and dealing with all the things that you'll never be able to eliminate, turn your attention to caring for the people. It begins with exhorting them in sound doctrine. And the best way to to exhort in sound doctrine is through the promotion of healthy relationships within the church. Sound doctrine flows out of healthy community within the body of Christ. Sound doctrine flows out of healthy community within the body of Christ. The word that Paul uses for speak there in verse 1 is not a, a formal lecture. It's not even a prepared sermon. In fact, the term being used here describes informal conversations. These are discussions that take place between people on any given day. See, sound doctrine is what Paul is saying. Sound doctrine is established through everyday conversations. Titus, or or any pastor for that matter, myself included, can prepare long and hard and, and, and give every effort to deliver a meaningful sermon. But more important than anything that I might say is what you hear and then communicate in your relationships with one another. And when I say you, I mean all of you, 
I mean all of the people of God. See, Paul will address every facet of the Christian home. He'll talk to older women. He'll talk to older men. He'll talk to younger women. He'll talk to younger men. He'll talk to workers who in that culture lived within a family unit as a part of that household. Paul is addressing every member of the Christian household that is a part of the local church. Because a healthy church is filled with healthy relationships. And that's what drowns out the distraction of empty chatter. In the midst of all the confusion being caused by these inconsistent lifestyles, saying one thing and and doing another, Paul says, don't focus on the vocal minority, but instead empower the vast majority. To speak the truth in love. It's the biblical principle of overcoming evil with good. Healthy relationships promote sound doctrine within the body of Christ. They speak the truth that guards and guides God's church. And it is a shared responsibility. This is not something that only the pastor is called to do. It is a shared responsibility that we all must do. Paul will address all these groups, as I've mentioned, men, women, workers. We're going to take them one week at a time, and it is only fitting we're going to start lady first. Okay? So, look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to too much wine, teaching what is good. Now, let me say right up front, it's not uncommon to hear people say that the Bible is demeaning to women. I mean, all this talk about being submissive and working in the home. But in order to draw that conclusion, you're going to have to read something into the Bible that is not there. In fact, After addressing the responsibilities of men in verse 2, Paul says, likewise. Likewise. Far from treating women as inferior, he actually puts them on equal ground. In the same way that men have responsibilities to fulfill in the church, so do women. Their responsibilities are equal in importance in the life of the church. Paul does not say, ladies, you don't have anything to offer or you just need to kind of be pushed aside. He doesn't ignore them at all. He speaks to them directly. In fact, he says, ladies, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to teach with a specific audience in mind. Women. Investing in the lives of other women is the optimal pattern for discipleship of women in the church. He begins by speaking to older women. By older, he's referring to those very likely who have already raised their own kids. So they're, they're raised, they're out of the house, maybe married, moved on. And what he's saying is, 
women who are older, women who have fulfilled that responsibility, you need to know that you're not done yet. You should turn to younger women who you can then invest in and, and speak to things that you've already experienced in your own life. Whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're widowed, it doesn't matter. Every single person has something to offer. Older women, all older women, have something of value in which to give to the younger generations. I want you to know that the Bible proactively empowered the role of women before women's lib ever became a dream. Paul says here that the value of older women in the church was so important that they have equal responsibilities to the value of role of men. And I need you to know that in that culture, it would have been alarming for him to have made such a statement. He was giving value and purpose to women in the church that they did not experience in that society. Because in that culture, women were at best second-class citizens. But Paul says in the church... They are of equal value to men. Different roles, equal value to men. Older women investing in the life of a younger woman is the ultimate, optimal pattern of discipleship among women in the church. It makes sense because of shared life experience. It makes sense because of the protection of sexual purity. It makes sense because women understand women better than men, right? Okay, I know we don't do this very often in the church, but I need to hear an amen on that. Women understand women better than men. Do I hear an amen? Amen, Amen. absolutely that's true. Paul begins with older women, and he tells them to be reverent. In their behavior. The, the word reverent is a holiness of heart. It's a woman who has drawn near to the heart of God. It is a woman that who finds her heart is completely satisfied in God alone. Not her husband. Not her kids. Not her career. But in God alone. This is important. Because Paul understands that the women will learn for how the older women behave. In that sense, an older older woman is never not teaching. They are mentoring before they might ever know another woman's name. Because they're watching. They're watching how they live. And not only how they live, but what they say. And so Paul warns the older women not to be malicious gossips. Now, in the original text, this is interesting because he chooses a very descriptive word. It's the Greek word diablos, from which we get the word devil, which means the accuser. So like the devil, malicious gossip whispers rumors about other people that may or may not be true, but really doesn't matter because the intent of the gossip is not to build up. 
It's to break down. Words that slander someone's motives. Words that judge another person's heart. Did you hear what they said? You know what they meant by that? Did you hear what did you see what they did? Do you hear what they do? They're accusations that are critical of other people. Often made worse by wine. <laughs> we all know that alcohol removes our inhibitions, right? So if you have trouble controlling your tongue, then wine is only going to make it worse. But the truth is, there can be just as much damage done over a cup of coffee as there is a glass of wine. Bottom line, anyone who talks too much is going to eventually say the wrong thing. And so Paul turns to the older women and says, be careful. Guard your tongue. Because Paul wants them to know you are mentoring younger generations every day. Because they are watching how you behave. They are listening to what you say. So guard your tongue. Be aware of your example. And then he says in verse 3, be intentional to teach what is good? Paul is affirming. He is encouraging. He is promoting the responsibility of older women to teach in the life of the church, to invest in the lives of the younger generations as a vital relationship for a healthy church. And I want us to kind of look at what he then guides them towards next as to what they should communicate. Look at verse 4. That they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Now, this obviously does not apply only to mentoring women who happen to be married. But Paul starts here because if they are married, that marriage relationship needs to be their highest priority. I think it's relevant that it's stacked right next to loving kids. Love your husband, love your kids. I think it's in order of priority. In fact, loving your kids begins with loving your spouse. I've had many of these same conversations over the years, one more recently, where, where a couple came to me who was having difficulty with a teenage son who was rebelling. And they came to me saying, what should we do? As we talked, I have history with this couple, and I knew some of the challenges that they've had in their marriage. So my first question was, how are you? How are y'all doing in your marriage? How are y'all working through this together? And they really wanted to dis dismiss that question, to kind of move on as if, well, the bigger problem is our rebellious child. And so if we could just fix that, then we could get back to kind of working on our marriage. And I said, no. And I believe this with all my heart. The best thing you can do to love your son is to work on your marriage. Healthy parenting flows out of healthy marriages. I believe that's what Paul is saying here. Teach the younger woman to value the priority of their marriage. 
don't get lost in raising the kids and forget how to love your husband. Which doesn't necessarily mean that if you have a good marriage, you won't have rebellious kids. That's not true. But if you do, you are so much more well-prepared and equipped to deal with that difficulty. Teach them to love their husbands. Teach them to love their kids. Teach them to be sensible and pure. Now we're getting into qualities that, that apply whether you're married or not. Single, widowed, doesn't matter. Being sensible is essentially someone who has self-control. They don't react on impulse. They don't respond with emotion. They keep their motives pure. They're discerning in their actions. They're considerate in their conduct. Really, what Paul is saying here, are, are these are people who are demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. They are being led by the Spirit. Reverent older women who draw near to the heart of God are called to speak into the lives of younger women and encourage them to do the same. It is a relationship with Christ that reveals the fruit of the Spirit. Remember Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. So older women teach the younger women what it means to abide in Christ, to trust in Him as a mom, as a wife, as a woman of God. Paul teaches in the verse to be workers at home, to be kind, to be subject to their own husbands so that God's word will not be dishonored. Again, we have to be careful in a passage like this not to introduce the, the modern date of uh, debate of working moms into this context because it doesn't exist in this context. Paul is speaking to what would have been normal for them. Remember, women didn't have the same respect as they might today. And so what Paul is saying here is actually elevating the value and importance of women within the church. Here he's highlighting the priority of serving the family over the pursuit of personal fulfillment. And that is relevant today. He's highlighting the priority of serving the family over the pursuit of personal fulfillment. See, marriage and family have tremendous value and purpose in God's kingdom work on this earth. Family is the fabric of society. It is the lifeblood of a healthy church. In fact, I believe that what a woman does in her home is the most important job on the face of the earth. I know we have some important men in this church, attorneys and presidents of businesses, and good for you. But it pales in comparison to the role of a woman in the home. So yes, older women teach younger women how to steward the responsibilities in the home. 
Please don't take this passage and make it say that women are not allowed to work outside the home. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that they must preserve the priority and importance of what they do in the home. It's a protection from personal fulfillment over serving their family. And to be honest with you, that applies just as much to men as it does to women. We see that same principle in Paul's teaching the younger women to to be subject to their own husbands. Now, the wording is important here. Because Paul does not say, all women be subject to all men, as if they're somehow inferior. This is speaking to the divine order of a godly marriage, which does not give husbands the right to treat their spouse like a doormat. It does not give the husband the right to be the dictator in the home. In fact, if you're a smart man, you will realize that you are half the man without your bride. And that's true for every single one of us. In fact, Ephesians 5, which we often go to when we talk about the marriage relationship, right? It talks about husbands and wives. But the verse immediately preceding that discussion of husbands and wives says this to everyone, men and women alike. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Paul is speaking to to submission in the context of marriage. And from a biblical perspective, there is absolutely nothing demeaning about that. You look no further than the person and work of Jesus Christ, equal with God, submitting to the will of the Father. It wasn't demeaning. It was just the opposite. It was glorifying to God as the creator the perfecter, the one who plans redemption. And what we see happening in that example is true in the context of a marriage as well. It is glorifying to God. By God's design, the husband is called to sacrificially love his wife, to consider her needs is more important than his own. And the wife is called to lovingly respect her husband. To honor his God-given responsibility to be the spiritual leader in the home. See, you remember last week how the opponents were disrupting entire households. You remember that? It says they were disrupting entire households. And it was causing all kinds of confusion in the church. Because of these selfish motives of these rebellious men. And so Paul turns to the older women and says... Speak into the lives of these younger women to help strengthen their homes because here's the deal. Godly women can minimize the influence of these deceitful men. Godly women, in the context of healthy relationships within a church body, can minimize the distraction of these deceitful men. Paul says in verse 5, so that the word of God may not be dishonored. So godly women, whether married or or single or widowed, are protectors of truth. They have great value and purpose within the context of the church. The word Paul uses for dishonor here is the word blaspheme. So godly women 
are those who protect the truth in contrast to those who are causing all the confusion. Those who are seeking personal fulfillment, essentially. They're driven by selfish motives. They're out for what's best for them. And when godly women fulfill the the role that God has called them to in the life of the church, it strengthens households so that influence has nowhere to go because of what that woman does in the life of the church. When you look at this passage, I desperately want you to see how Paul, having been inspired by God, speaking to Titus, is empowering the role of women. He is promoting the value of relationships within the body of Christ as the answer to the confusion that is disrupting entire households in Crete. And as I share that with you, I don't want you to overlook the reality of what you have in this church. I mean, just take a minute and look around you. And what you're going to see is older women and younger women. And you're going to see all kinds of relationships that happen within this church as those generations connect with one another. You can go to a lot of churches and you're not going to see that. This is a blessing that Melanie Park Church has with this wide demographic of old and young because we have the opportunity to fulfill exactly what Paul is calling us to in this passage. And so even though we have multiple examples, I want to give you one example this morning and ask some folks to come up. So Mrs. Courtney and Macy and Abby, would you please come up here? And I'm going to get out of the way so I don't... So these three sweet ladies took the time to get together. So come on up, Miss Courtney. Yes, that'd be great. Those mics are on, so you don't have to turn them on or anything. You can, they should be ready to go. So these sweet ladies have uh, a sweet relationship with one another. And I want you to hear from them about the blessing that this has been in each of their lives as an example of what we should be living out over and over again in the life of this church. So uh, I'm going to ask you and uh, Abby and Macy, I want to ask you guys, kind of how, how did this get started? Tell us what took place for the relationship to begin. So, let's see. Macy and I, I have a, well, we have a lot of ideas that start out with, Mace, I have an idea, <laughs> or Abs, I have an idea. Sometimes they're really good. Sometimes they could use some more thought. But um, so this one, this one was probably our best one. And so our freshman year, we've been doing this for about four years. Um, we had some older friends who were juniors and seniors, and Macy and I were kind of at a loss. And we're like, wow, we really have a lot to learn. So I said, Mace, I have an idea. And so um, we, we approached Mrs. Courtney, because Mrs. Courtney's like the Michael Jordan of life. So, <laughs> um, might as well get a private lesson. <laughs> I love it. We've been having a private lesson every uh, Sunday for the past four years at 4 p.m. So, and it's probably been the most shaping and changing um, hour of my entire week. Macy, when you guys talked about this, can you speak a little bit to what was your goal? I mean, what did you have in mind going into your time with Miss Courtney? 
So initially, whenever we did this, I think Abby and I very much sought answers, and we just wanted to know because we recognize the value of older women, and we wanted that in our lives because we recognized that we were going into freshman year and just going into high school, and that was an overwhelming thing with a lot of changes and just identity. But I think uh, we were talking about this yesterday. We hung out, and. I think something that's really interesting is that our intentions have so changed. Um, and so now when I go to my Sundays, I very much desire a lifestyle as opposed to just answers. I want to be a woman of God, not just the answers to very specific questions. And I want to be a woman of grace, not just I want to know how to like, do high school or do something in life. So one of the things I hope you hear is the testimony of what we talked about in our passage. They looked at Mrs. Courtney, and they watched how she lived. They listened to what she said, and they saw, <laughs> what a great description. That's going to be like for, with me forever. That she's the Michael Jordan of life, right? <laughs> I love it. But, but she, they saw evidences in her that they wanted to be true of them. So what's the best way for that to happen? Spend some time with that person. Now, there were probably things that you, you've already mentioned. There were things that you expected that you probably gained. Maybe some surprises that changed the way the conversations went over time. Ms. Courtney, I'd like to kind of hear from you. What were th- ways in which this was a blessing to you? Maybe in ways that were surprising or different than what you expected. I really didn't know, I really didn't know what to expect. These little girls, I thought, well, they've just come to me. They looked at the oldest woman in the church, and they thought, well, maybe <laughs> she'll do. So, <laughs> sort of, sort of thought that's how come I got into this venture. Um, <clears throat> I'm really not a teacher, and I'm certainly not at the top of ones with the the gift list. And. Basically, if I had known the intelligence of these girls or the intelligent quotients that each of them has, I would probably have said, no, I'm not going to do this. But anyway, uh, when they approached me, I thought, well, okay, we'll give it a try. And... uh, Uh, It's far more than I ever expected. These girls have blessed me in ways that it's absolutely... I could sit here for the rest of the day and tell you how they blessed me. Let's do this. So would each of you just pick one thing that stands out in your mind, that the relationship, one way it's been a blessing to each of you individually... So I could just continue right please now. Please do. I could just please continue do. And, <laughs> and finish this. Um, I think I'll just read this so I don't miss anything. It began really when Dick was ill and continuing to lose ground. These girls were a bright spot in my life when my world was passing, passing through a dark phase. They were my friends. I could sense their caring. And when Dick passed away, there were notes 
and flowers and food. I think maybe they even got their moms involved. It, they were a blessing just to know their care and love. Another way that it's been a blessing to me is as an old retired missionary lady to see these girls with a vital interest in people in other parts of the world and their hearts for missions. Mm, yes. Thank you, Mrs. Courtney. See, I, well, I don't think Macy and I realized how funny Mrs. Courtney is. <laughs> and so we laugh quite a lot. Um, and that was surprising. But um, I definitely thought I was going to learn um, lessons that I'd stow away. And I'd go, okay, I'm going to save that for, for when I go to college or for when I get married or whenever I have kids. And we'll, we'll keep that one stored away. But um, there were some immediate actions that take place. I did not um, have much time to store the lessons. And so... Um, and Mrs. Courtney um, would enter in, in prayer with me, and we'd, we'd say, Miss Courtney, this is what's going on, and she'd say, let's pray. And so we'd pray. Or um, um, even my, I, I play basketball at um, my high school, and I've had numerous conversations with um, so many girls within our basketball program that I was, those were not my words, those were Mrs. Courtney's words that came out. And so, and it was, I'd have these meetings on Sundays, and on Mondays, I'd find myself on a bus talking about the validity of the Bible and how we know it's true. And so, um, and so that was really, really um, important to me and, and so cool to see um, how she handles such big issues with grace and how, how we can make a joke out of it and how we can, can talk about the manuscripts and the Dead Sea Scrolls and then um, make those relevant. And so and it, it really was pervasive to every day of the week, not just on Sundays. Well, I have three, so we're just going to have to just hang on. It'll be okay. Um, <laughs> so I wrote it out. I'm going to just read it because if not, it'd be a mess. Um, so Mrs. Courtney was a vital part of the process of instilling, instilling my true worth. She has remained a constant factor in our lives since the first day we walked through the doors of high school and has carried us to the home stretch. After two years of listening to Mrs. Courtney, I began to realize who I wanted to be. My priorities shifted from being what the world projected success and beauty was to a desire to cultivate grace and love others deeply. I would argue that Mrs. Courtney is the definition of true beauty. I came to Mrs. Courtney wanting to know answers. Now I come seeking a friend, willing to listen to her stories of the goodness of the Lord. Along with instilling my worth in me, Mrs. Courtney taught me what it looks like to continually learn. Each week, she comes ready with a new story of how she saw the Lord or what the Lord taught her. That changed my relationship with the Lord. I learned that the Lord uses the seemingly mundane just as much as the moments of immense pain and celebration. Just as I learned to listen to people, I learned to listen to the Lord. Lastly, the most recent thing I learned from Mrs. Courtney and will continue to be in awe of is what it looks like to die to self. We say that phrase often in the church, but Mrs. Courtney might be the first person I have met that does it daily without hesitation. Her home is a revolving do door filled with people and stories. She has family and friends and that she desperately wishes knew the Lord. 
She still has people at her house many nights of the week. Each Sunday, she tells Abby and I the new story of a missionary friend or family member of hers that stopped by. As an introvert by nature, if someone stopped by my house in the evening, I would most likely pretend I wasn't home. (laughs) But Mrs. Courtney opens her home to the brokenhearted and the overjoyed, willing to give of herself no matter the circumstance. Also, this is a side note, but um, Abby and I always um, ponder how we came to hold such a friendship possessing intense depth. And I was thinking about this this morning. I'm like, man, got to figure out what to say this morning. So I was thinking about Mrs. Courtney, and then I was like, Oh, my goodness. I think growing together through the wisdom of Mrs. Courtney has been one of the most powerful things in Abby and I's friendship as well. And I would say that we learned to grow together. Um, And sometimes we go on Sundays and we exchange a solid two sentences and then we move on with our days. And sometimes we stay for hours after and just talk about the hard things in such a raw fashion because that's what Mrs. Courtney has cultivated in us. So I hope you get a picture of the mutual benefit. They've all said, including Mrs. Courtney, the way that the relationship has been a blessing to them. Why would that be? Could it possibly be because that's the goodness that God built into the design and what he's inviting us into when he calls us to live this out in the church? Could that be it? I think it is. And so... Just in conclusion, would you guys, either collectively or individually, what would you say to folks in our body about how to pursue, how how to enter into a relationship like you guys have experienced with each other? What would you offer? It is a challenge. (laughs) Don't Don't be afraid. It might be a challenge. It is a challenge. But it's so rewarding. <coughs> um, something else I wanted to say on that, and I can't remember exactly what it was. Don't be afraid that that was it. You don't know what God has in store for you. Um, something else I really wanted to say, and I can't think <laughs> of it now. I bet you'll remember it. Just hold, the, hold yeah. that thought. But the one she said, just in case you couldn't hear her, is don't be afraid. Allow God to work in ways that maybe you feel inadequate for. And just, just see if he shows up and proves himself to be faithful. Right? I know. I know. Uh, no. <laughs> we don't have a highly structured class. So don't be afraid of that. And these girls came to me at first, and they said, we've got questions, Mrs. Courtney. And they go to a Christian school. They go to church where they hear the word taught. But still they had questions, which teenagers have. So you might be prepared to just try to relate to them. Mm, that's good. Do I add anything to that? Yeah. On the subject of relatability, um, so our problems and issues that Macy and I face, when they arise, um, I've learned that they aren't novelties. They aren't new issues. They aren't like, oh, no, Mrs. Courtney's probably never faced this. Um, But they may take different forms, and they may appear different, um, and they may have different consequences, but they're nothing new. 
And so um, what we found was Mrs. Courtney um, would be like, oh, no, I don't know if she'll relate. And she related more than we could ever imagine. And um, there was such a connection in that. And so, um, so that was such a, such a blessing, at least to, to me. Graduating, Lacey. I think in our, the current age, especially like as high school students going into college, we very much are in the age of connection, which is really kind of an oxymoron because we're not that connected. We just think we are. But I think being willing to accept the differences in um, our generations and just putting those aside has been such a beautiful thing that we so often think that that would make us not able to relate, but it's such a beautiful thing that really doesn't hinder it. I think what you'll find and what is represented here is that these relationships are how God works in the lives of his people. So we often come with what we think might be the obstacles. They mentioned some, you know, generational differences and our problems are different. And no, when you get to the heart of the issue, when you get to the heart, it's the same in every generation. And God speaks into our lives in every generation. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so my encouragement to all of us as a body is to first recognize the very clear value that God places on meaningful relationships within the body of Christ. And this morning, we've spoken specifically to the relationships of women investing in the lives of other women. And this is important for who we are as a body. If we want to be healthy, if we want to have sound doctrine, it's not just what happens on Sunday morning behind that pulpit. It's what happens on Sunday evening in relationships like this, in the conversations you have on Monday and on Tuesday and so on. So please live this out for the sake of this church, for the glory of his name. That's what it's all about. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for just the testimonies that <coughs> bring the word to life, that give us a picture of what you intend and really validate the promise of what you have made possible when we are obedient, when we step into what you've called us to. There's goodness built in that ultimately brings glory and honor to your name because this was your idea all along. You speak to the heart. You proclaim truth. You speak to deliverance and hope and peace. And Father, thank you for the promise that we have in you through faith in Christ alone. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you.